Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the special privilege of interviewing Jennifer Crittenden. She is author of The Discreet Guide for Executive Women, How to Work Well with Men and Other Difficulties. She's also an executive herself and has vast amount of experience in the corporate environment. And today she's going to share some of her story and talk about her book and the things that she's learned along the way. Hi Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, Angela. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being here and sharing some of the things that you've learned on your journey with our listeners. I'm really interested in the book and how it can help other women to look at things that are traditional myths in the corporate work environment and also just ways that they can feel more empowered to do what they're doing or want to do. But before we talk about the book, I would love for you to share some of your history, kind of how you grew up and what sort of evolved in your life that helped to choose the path that you chose to be in the corporate world and then kind of leading into the book and how that came about. Sure. I grew up in southern Indiana. Um, My father was a professor and my mother was a, I call her a feminist homemaker. So. I went to Indiana University and got a bachelor's degree in linguistics and French. So I wasn't exactly a likely candidate to go and get my MBA in finance and MIS. Um, But my path led me there. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, I just loved it. I loved my finance classes and was really excited to enter the corporate world. And actually did very well, was very successful, had eight years at Myers Squibb, and then came to California um, and had another 10 years or so in the biotech industry out here. About 10 years ago, I was observing that women in the corporate world appeared to be struggling, Mm -hmm. and in particular that my male colleagues would complain to me about my female colleagues, Mm -hmm. but they wouldn't say anything to the women themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started kind of keeping a list and, you know, some anecdotes and some tips kind of casually on the side. I was traveling a lot then, so I had time to write on the plane. And I thought, well, maybe someday I'll put this this out there for the world. Maybe it would help someone. A lot of the issues were gender-related issues and Mm -hmm. tended to be kind of touchy, touchy subjects. Right. So we tend not to talk about them either as mentors or the career advice books mm-hmm. don't, often don't address these issues. That's right. It's definitely not, even though we seem to talk a lot about breaking through the glass ceiling and women not making as much salary as men, there's a lot of other things, and I know you touch on some of them in the book, that are not talked about and not even realized that are happening. But before we talk more about the book, let's go back a little bit to your childhood What do you think the influence from your mom being a feminist homemaker was that Mm -hmm. helped you to survive, if you will, and thrive during your schooling and then going into the corporate world? Because I know that that had to have had its challenges, and of course you obviously were smart and talented and got through, but what were some of the challenges that you dealt with, and how did you deal with those challenges that you faced? Mm, Yeah, no, that's a... It's interesting. I think one of the problems that we face 
um, in the corporate world, we women face in the corporate world is fear. And fear can uh, fear can kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. so I I do think that I struggled with that when I was in business school because I didn't have a business background. Mm-hmm. I didn't come from a business-related family. And it wasn't clear to me at the beginning that this was the right place for me. But, you know, I think the, the intellectual side of it was so appealing. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, I've always been kind of a scrappy person, and that a lot of that comes from my mom. She's a pretty tough character. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was an elected county councilwoman um, way back in the 60s mm-hmm. and, you know, had to fight a lot of political battles. Mm-hmm. So, so she was modeling, role modeling some strengths and characters that you definitely, I'm sure, learned from and absolutely. admired. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would also credit my dad with um, coaching me a lot in areas that were useful in business, asking for what you want, not taking no for an answer, um, not getting your feelings hurt, you know, just uh, a lot of good advice that men typically pass on to their sons, and I was just fortunate enough to have a dad who passed those things on to me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I'm sure he encouraged you and didn't make you feel like, well, you're a girl, you can't. Absolutely not. And, you know, that's one of the things I'm observing even today and more and more so as I talk to more women mm-hmm. is that I was not raised the same way a lot of other women are uh-huh. even today. And I'm surprised at how many women, you know, appear to have been socialized in such a way that they that they almost have a victim mentality. Yes. Or they, or they don't feel deserving, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at least not as deserving as guys feel. Right. I, I totally can relate to that, and I know I've had discussions like that with colleagues and friends. And that let's go back to your parents then. So it's somewhat about your parents. I know that people have overcome different upbringings, but... When your parents are there, whether you're male or female, to instill a sense of confidence in you and to push you and encourage you to do all that you can and be the best that you can, I think that really does make a difference because that opens your eyes to what is available to you. I mean, obviously there was something within your upbringing that said to you, I can go to these colleges, I can go to seek out this job once I finish and I can do this. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing is, is that those, you know, that kind of training that you receive at a young age is just comes very naturally to you when you're a grown up. But when it's been detrimental to your health, it's very hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel very fortunate to have the parents that I had, not only for their role models, but just the assumptions that they had about how women should behave and what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly wasn't molly coddled when I was uh, when I was young, just because I was a girl. I was expected to pull my weight and make my arguments and uh, be, you know, be a partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that, and it sounds like that really leads into the equality issues about men versus women. Sure. Is that something that you talk about in the book also? I don't think I was aware before that that so many women are overcoming uh, their their own upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know obviously there's a variety of styles 
that are successful in the corporate world but also are present in the corporate world. And so you see women who behave, you know, and display stereotypically masculine traits, but you also see very feminine women in the workplace. And I just noticed that sometimes the women who behaved in very feminine ways off, you know, sometimes had behaviors that didn't work to their advantage. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure I realized then that, well, yeah, she's acting that way because she's been told that's the way she's supposed to behave. Exactly. Or she may have been rewarded in the past by behaving a certain way, and that's not working anymore. And I think yeah. that's critical for women to understand that when something may have worked in a certain environment or with a certain person, it doesn't mean that that's always the right way. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't grow from that and move on to something better for yourself or whatever the situation is. Yeah, that's very profound. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to switch horses in midstream, so to speak. Yes. And, and I do talk about that in my book, that there are behaviors that are certainly very appropriate at home or with mm-hmm. your husband, but those are not the same behaviors that you want to exhibit in the workplace. Absolutely. Good point. Good point. Let's talk about money and women because that is a very hot topic, not only about the discrepancies between salaries at times, but how women are, again, brought up to think about money and handle money or not. How did that affect you and how you were brought up and what you did? I mean, you even went into taking classes about finance, so obviously that was not typical, I don't think. And do you share anything about that in your book, about the differences between how money's handled, how money's earned, those types of things? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So my father's a professor of physics, um, so, you know, being able to quantify things was always considered very valuable in uh, in my household growing up. So numbers, so I like numbers, you know, mm-hmm. I think that they're very useful and wasn't intimidated by numbers. I do notice that that that's not how many women have been raised or the approach that they take. And so you a lot of times hear women say, I'm not good with numbers. Right. And I talk about um, in the book about don't be a nitwit. You know, don't don't uh, spout your weaknesses. Guys don't do that mm-hmm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, especially don't say, I'm not good with numbers when you're at work because uh, if you're working in business, you need to be good with numbers. And numbers are your friends, so uh, so you should be friends with them. Right. Learn how to manipulate numbers and understand numbers. That's very true. And I think, again, depending on how you were brought up or your mindset, that can always be changed. And I think that books like yours are catalysts to helping women and others to realize that it's not too late. You can learn things. You can change your mindset, and that's a powerful thing. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's not, you know, it's not that hard. We're not talking about trigonometry or, you know, integral calculus here. It's it's uh, often fairly straightforward. Forward. It's mostly a matter of self-confidence and believing that you have the right to be in charge of your own finances or to ask for a higher salary you know that that uh, that those are legitimate needs for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's powerful, and that is very very important, especially these days. You know, we all have to stand up for ourselves and to believe in what we're trying to accomplish, and certainly to believe in our worth. Absolutely, and you know, money is is really important. It's mm-hmm. um, 
it's important that women understand if they get divorced or if they're looking at their retirement um, or if they're, you know, contemplating how they're going to pay for their kids' education, that they feel at ease and mm-hmm. solid with mm-hmm. with numbers and quantifying uh, their needs. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, how does that then roll into the power between the different sexes, not just in the workplace, obviously, but just overall in our society, men versus women? I am coming to believe that a lot of the power that men have in the world is related to money. Yes. And so so I think, um, you know, we need to start small, but I think we first need for women to understand that they need to handle money and get money mm-hmm. and be in charge of money. And it's interesting to to read about couples where, for whatever reason, it turns out that the woman begins to make more money than the man does. Mm-hmm. Often, or fairly frequently, those couples evolve in such a way that she becomes the primary breadwinner and the husband becomes the stay-at-home spouse. Mm -hmm. They do this for economic reasons. Now, obviously, there are social factors that that play into that as well, but it's interesting to see that those social factors can be set aside when clearly the economics indicate that it makes more sense for the woman to be the primary breadwinner. And I really think that this is... This is interesting because it means men have an option too. Yes, and wouldn't and wouldn't that be a wonderful thing mm-hmm. that 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 the that the woman has an option to have this big career and the man has an option to spend more time with his children? Mm-hmm. I think that that's that would be a wonderful world to live in. Right, but, but that would require a shift, a huge shift in societal norms. Correct. Some, although it's moving more that way. Mm-hmm. In fact, my husband was a stay-at-home spouse, and uh, he started staying home in the early 90s. It was very unusual then. I think I read at the time that 3% of men were stay-at-home spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, now I believe it's closer to 20. Wow, that's great. Well, it's it's an indication that if men are given an option, some of them choose that. Yes. Which is Which is nice. You know, that's a... That's a nice world. It is nice, and some of the stay-at-home dads that I know are just wonderful at that role, and they're very happy and content. The children are very well cared for, so I think that right there helps to expel some of that, you know, man versus women and what roles we each have and what we're better at. So is that something that you talk about in the book, these roles that we traditionally have and how to break through them even in the workplace? Yes, absolutely. And the you know, the thing is is that the first premise that you have to have when you enter the corporate world is that men are not the enemy. Mm-hmm. And you can't go around hating your your male colleagues. Right. Um, so it can't be an us versus them uh, stance that you set off with. Mm-hmm. And that is a problem because some of the career advice books that are out there are antagonistic to men. Right. And and talk a lot about competing with men or beating men or undercutting men. And that really doesn't work Mm -hmm. in the the corporate world. You know, you're part of a team. Yes. So you need to build collegial relationships with 
your male colleagues. That makes a lot of sense, and that's a very good point to bring up. And I think that there's a lot of wonderful places for competition, but sometimes we end up competing and hurting ourselves more than we're helping ourselves. Yes, that's right. What would you say are some of the things that, say, a female entrepreneur could get out of your book? Because that's something that also is becoming more and more popular these days. Women are starting businesses and becoming small business owners and entrepreneurs. Are there things in your book that would help the female entrepreneur understand better how to deal with men and the corporate environment if they're doing business with the corporate world? Yes, the book is um, really targeted at women who are working in corporate America in companies predominantly run by men. Mm -hmm. But I've been surprised at the broader audience that it is reaching in academia or, as you say, women business owners. And I think partly it's because there's some material in the book that has to do with communication Mm -hmm. and with building collegial relationships with men. And that's useful even if you have your own business mm-hmm. um, because you're often uh, interacting with men in, in the, as a vendor or a supplier, as a customer um, or a partner. And there are ways, I think, that don't necessarily come naturally to us um, or to many of us as women um, in America that are useful when you're dealing with men. Um, so, you know, a couple of examples are that Guys tend, generally tend to like to um, talk in terms of facts and data. Yes. Mm-hmm. And emotional displays um, will make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of language of business that's useful to learn. Um, mm-hmm. I encourage women to learn sports metaphors. It's not particularly politically correct, but I hear so many of them. I think that you're that it's a disadvantage if you're not familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Those are a couple of uh, examples. And that brings up a good point. What about the women who say, "Why should we adapt? Why shouldn't men adapt? You know, why shouldn't men learn our language? Why shouldn't men cry at work? <laughs> Things like this." What do you have to say about that? I hear that all the time, and. You know, certainly companies vary, and some cultures are uh, more open to these other kinds of behaviors. Although I have to say, you know, I worked in a lot of different companies. I sure didn't find any where crying was acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be, on one hand, you could say, well, it would be nice, just as men have options, that women have options, too, when they go into the corporate world, that it not be the kind of male-dominated environment that it is today. Mm-hmm. And maybe someday we'll get there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that I think that would be worth a try, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But right now, it isn't that way. Right. And, the, and your goal is to integrate into the environment, not carve a separate path through it, <clears throat> and not transform it. Mm-hmm. That's not your goal. I mean, maybe eventually we'll get there. Right. But... To be successful right now, we have to play by these rules. And there's one more thing I'll say about the corporate environment is that it's kind of a stylized, almost artificial environment with these, with a hierarchy and certain um, ways of behaving that you don't really see outside of the corporate world. 
Mm-hmm. So even men have to play this game in a certain way. Right. And, you know, and you'll hear them say, I put on my game face or, you know, it's almost like they have a corporate persona that they've, that they too have built. Yes. That they use as a shield when they're in the corporate world because it's tough. It's a tough place. Yes. And so my point is that, that women can do that too. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they can be very effective at also building their own corporate persona um, that they can use to survive this tough and tough environment and even flourish in it, you know, even have fun, you know, succeeding and gaining confidence and uh, having success. Right. And I think that's an important point that you bring up because I don't think that women have to give up who they are or themselves or walk into a situation and be completely fake, if you will. But women are really good at adapting and manipulating, and I say that in a good way, situations Uh for their benefit. So to me, it's just another situation where we say we will make this work to our advantage and we will be the best we can be in that. And as you said, allow ourselves to grow and be strengthened and to be a part of that team and to be successful. And just like any environment, whether, I mean, I found this going to university, that or being in the mom's group or whatever it is, you need to adapt to some extent and you need to know what the rules are and who the players are. And that to me is how you become successfully, you know, work through that part of your life. Absolutely. That's a that's a wonderfully succinct way to put it. You're certainly not becoming a phony mm-hmm. because people are very uh, quick to observe inauthenticity at work, yes. um, particularly in women. So you, you really want to build a very genuine uh, model for yourself. Mm-hmm. But as you say, women can be incredibly observant and uh, adept at uh, navigating difficult situations like that. Yes. Um, so that a woman can really flourish and do extremely well and become a very powerful and graceful leader mm-hmm. if she uh, brings all her talents to bear. Mm-hmm. I like that. Very, very true and very wise share there. That leads me into then the next question about the word that nobody likes to say. What about those that are called the bitch. They've climbed to the top, so they say. They've stepped on people on their way. They've hurt people, uh, but everyone in the office thinks of them as the bitch for whatever reason. Maybe their attitude, maybe their point of success. Do you share anything about that in the book, and what's your take on that? (laughs) Um, I describe in the book your evil twin, Mm-hmm. So you can use this uh, example as something that you want to be the polar opposite of. So mm-hmm. it's a, a woman who goes around with a huge chip on her shoulder. She mm-hmm. never laughs. She never uh, drops in on people. She hides behind her emails and barricades herself in her office. She's ready to pull herself up at the slightest affront. And, you know, unfortunately, we've all encountered women like this. And they're just the ones that you don't want to build a relationship with, which is just the opposite of what you're trying to achieve, right? You want Mm -hmm. people to build relationships with you. That's right. But I think, Angela, that it's all part of the same problem. Mm -hmm. But these women who, who behave poorly at work 
do so because they're uncomfortable mm. and they haven't figured out how to create a persona for themselves that they that even they like and yes. that is likable. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know this. Someone said this to me the other day, and I thought that's the problem. She said we're so busy trying to prove ourselves at work that we forget that we need to build relationships with our colleagues. And I thought. Where does that come from? Who says we have something to prove? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we have a legitimate spot there. Right. But I think that that, you know, this evil twin, that's the problem. Is She she doesn't really feel as though she's earned her spot yet. Mm. And so she's constantly proving that she deserves to be there. Right. Wow, that's powerful and good insight. I have to agree with that. And I think that, again, that's a shame that sometimes we're not able to flourish and be as successful as we're meant to be because we get hung up in that part of, you know, we must be competitive, we must prove ourselves, we must be better than X, and, mm-hmm. you know, what are we really fighting for? Yeah, uh, right. So, you know, and, right. and it's a shame because then when that image or persona is thought of, you know, as part of how women are or who they are, it hurts all of us because it, it's certainly not who we are. It might be how we act at times because everybody has parts when their evil twin comes out for various yeah, reasons. Sure. Uh-huh. That's normal. But being labeled as that is really detrimental, I think. It is really sad because a lot of times these women are wonderful women off work. Yes. Um, and it's just that they've, you know, they're so uncomfortable at work that they behave badly. And you're right. You know, once we have encountered someone like that, oftentimes, you know, it gives working with women a bad name. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when 70% of employees would prefer to work for a man than for a woman, we have a problem. Yes, absolutely. But I, but I do think that we can help our female colleagues. That was clearly one of the reasons that I wrote the book. Um, and I think we can we can model better behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think if we show more sympathy than criticism, then that helps us all get better, too. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, again, going back to realizing the wonderful creatures that we are as women, to be able to adapt, to be able to see things from various points of of views, to be able to be great multitaskers, things like that. There's so much value in all that that we can bring to the plate. I'd love to have you share then before we wrap up. talked about early on hearing from different men about their complaints about women in the workplace. What were some of those and how did that kind of evolve into you coming back with a response to that to help women to recognize that this was happening? Well, as I say, you know, the corporate world is not very forgiving of feelings. And Mm -hmm. it could be that that's because... We're at work. We have a job that we have to do. We we don't really have time to cope with people's feelings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that it's legitimate to have feelings, but often women do express their feelings at work, and it kind of it disturbs the environment mm-hmm. because, you know, nobody's showing their feelings, and we're all hiding our feelings because we've got this job that we have to do. Mm-hmm. So that was a common complaint, not just about crying, but about showing feelings in general or mm-hmm. having hurt feelings. You know, if your project wasn't selected, you know, there were reasons for that. There were 
there were objective reasons for that. You can't really get your feelings hurt about that. Mm-hmm. So there's some some level of impatience mm-hmm. that sometimes goes along um, with uh, with men when they complain about women. I think also there's you know, a lot of times women can be quite circumspect in the way they communicate. Mm-hmm. Guys often just want you to say what the heck is going on. Right. Direct communication. Mm-hmm. Direct communication. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It often are, are uh, behavioral or stylistic observations that men have about women that are a little uncomfortable to talk to her about. Mm-hmm. And so they won't come out in performance reviews. And they won't come out even in casual conversations. And that's a real shame. You know, women need this kind of feedback. They need to be told what's holding them back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, somehow we have to make it safe for the men to give us feedback. Right. And often, and often that means you just have to ask for it mm-hmm. and show that you're not going to be damaged by it. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Women have to be fairly tough uh, when they're in the workplace. But they can't look tough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Right, right. I understand exactly what you mean, and I can see that that's a dilemma. I know there's been a great deal of discussion about communication in the workplace, and how it's different for men and women, and how to communicate within the team and the hierarchy of the team and things like that. So that could probably be a whole other discussion and book. <laughs> yeah, in right. Itself. So. I don't want to dwell on that too much, but I'm really excited that you shared so many awesome things in the book, and I know that you shared some navigation tips in the book. Yeah. What are a few of those that we could share with our audience today? I talk in the book about the executive woman's dilemma, because as you rise in the organization, you realize that you have to demonstrate leadership characteristics, mm-hmm. and yet people are often threatened by women who are in powerful positions. And so those are just likely to be the behaviors that that you're criticized for. And sometimes the B word comes out or you get called a climber or ruthless or battle axe. So it's a real tricky thing. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't problem where you know you have to demonstrate these characteristics, but they're just the ones likely to be the ones that that uh, people are going to criticize you for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, navigating through that is very tricky. Mm -hmm. But there are ways through it, and we have seen women be successful. And I think what's most encouraging is that there can be a variety of styles that get get you through. Right. Because not all successful women look or behave the same. That's right. So Mm -hmm. that's really a wonderful insight because mm-hmm. it means you can build your own unique path yes. through it. Yes. I think authenticity is extremely important. I think modesty is very becoming and also demonstrates that you're just part of the team. Mm-hmm. You have a voice and you are going to uh, play your position and make sure that, that uh, you participate. But you understand that the team's decision is the one that you're going to support. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think coming from that kind of orientation really resonates with your colleagues. That's right. I have to agree with that. And I think it goes back to what we discussed earlier is just women being able to be the best that they are to use their gifts and talents and strengths in a good way and to recognize how powerful that is. It's huge, and I think that's why I'm so motivated 
to help women get into leadership positions because they truly have a lot to offer. And I think it would be interesting to see how the world would change if we had more women in leadership positions. Yes, absolutely. I have to agree with that. One more hot topic before we have you share where people could pick up a copy of your book and connect with you further. Let's talk about for a moment sex in the workplace because, as you know, that's been a huge one as far as uh, relationships that are non-professional in the workplace and things like that. Is that something you discuss in the book, and what's your take on that? <laughs> yes. yes, I do, and I uh, I just say very plainly that you shouldn't have sex with your coworkers. Mm. When I look back, I'm surprised at how much sex I encountered. I was not prepared for that, and I think, I mean, my observations were every time it happened, it was very detrimental to the woman, regardless of marital status, who initiated it, any of that. It was mm. always the woman who lost. So I really encourage my readers to look elsewhere for their uh, romantic liaisons. I think it really damages a woman's reputation. So I'm a bit old-fashioned in that way, I, I suspect, but I never saw it work out well for the woman. Often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They decide to, you know, even if it's a good relationship, one of them will decide to leave. Mm-hmm. It's very often the woman who leaves. Right. And she often uh, leaves to take a position that was not as favorable to mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. If the relationship ends badly, then it's then it's very bad on, in all ways. Right. In any case, her professional reputation is always damaged. But again, then on the opposite side of that, we have those who say, what about, you know, men don't often get criticized that they have had an affair, including if they're married in the workplace. Um, they don't usually get demoted or asked to leave. What's your take on that? Is that something that is, again, part of societal norms? Is something that we need to not even branch into in the first place as far as meshing the personal with the professional? Oh, I think it's a terrible double standard. It's just, uh, it's extremely unfair the way this is uh, played out in the workplace. I think it's, I think it's changing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think young men are more emancipated and they understand that they recognize that there's a double standard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I certainly don't encourage men to sleep with their coworkers either. Right. <laughs> good point, good point. Yeah. <laughs> didn't mean to I didn't mean to imply that. No, I know um, what you mean and I think I think it's like most things over time things can change and we become more aware because we start to talk about things more, which is what made me so excited about talking about your book because Things need to be talked about, and if we don't talk about them, we don't figure out solutions or different ways to handle things, and we're certainly not given the power to do something different because nobody even wants to recognize that there's issues. I agree, Angela, and I'm really, I think it's, you know, it shouldn't take a person reading it in my book to think, oh, I shouldn't have slept with my sales rep at that sales conference, but unfortunately, I see women make this terrible mistake not mm-hmm. frequently, but it happens. And yes. I don't think that she realizes the price that she's going to pay. Exactly. Good point. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing a part of your story and for sharing about the book today. How could others find out about you and pick up a copy of The Discreet Guide for the Executive Women? Sure. The um, book is available in paperback, Nook, 
Kindle, and now there's also an audio version that's available on audible.com. If you Google if you Google for it, you'll find the booksellers, or you can go to my website, which is discreetguide.com, and I've got links to the booksellers there. One, one quick thing I'll add is that uh, a lot of my readers write to me after mm-hmm. they read the book, I think because it's a personal book and quite conversational. They can tell that I'm an approachable person, and I love that. I mm-hmm. love hearing from my readers. Some of the stories make me sad, but it's really wonderful to know that I've touched someone with my book. Absolutely. I really appreciate you sharing that, and I'm so glad, again, that you wrote the book, that you're sharing some things that you've learned along the journey, and definitely some great tips for all of us, no matter what we're doing currently in our lives, whether it's in the corporate world or as an entrepreneur or simply just living out our life purpose. Thank you, Angela. I really enjoyed it.